All right, today we're going to be continuing in our Elephant in the Room series, and I want to, I want to start this, and I want to start this, and I would really like the entire next uh, few minutes to be a time of grace and humility, because we're going to talk about a subject, there's not a whole lot of grace and humility either side of the argument for abortion these days. The reason we're doing the Elephant in the Room series is not because I enjoy these kinds of topics. I really, these are my least favorite types of sermons to, to uh, preach. I really hate doing these kinds of things. But the truth is, we as the body of Christ need to know what Jesus and what God thinks about major issues going on in our world. We also need to be in tune with the heart of Christ in all things. That's why we've gone through a number of topics. This is our seventh or eighth one so far. We've got one more we're going to finish up next week. But the reason that we're doing this is so that we have a chance to at least have a discussion about what does Scripture say. But we have to approach this not from a sense that I'm right and you're wrong or that my position is the right position. But instead, we are broken people before God and we are thankful that by grace he has saved us from ourselves. The last thing we need to do is turn in on each other. So as we, we talk about this, uh, this issue, it is a huge, hot issue. And the feelings and the emotions behind it are enormous. There are lots of different groups that are probably in this room. There are certainly lots of groups that are part of this conversation. There are some of you who are stoutly pro-choice. And there are some of you that are stoutly pro-life. And you believe that the other is absolutely wrong. And so you know exactly what you believe. You know exactly what you think. And that's where you are. There are some that are in this room, and they have had an abortion probably. If statistics bear out and the number of people in this room, there is at least somebody who has probably had an abortion in this room. Now, there are two responses to that. One is, it was the right decision. I would do it again, given the same circumstances. The other is, I would never do it again. I regret doing it the first time. So we've got all kinds of responses to this, all kinds of, of people's emotions in this. Some, some people feel very vindictive, very vindicated, and they just want to speak what they believe is the truth. We have others who are struggling and questioning and not sure how to feel, and there are still others who this whole issue, this whole topic, just brings great amount of pain into their lives. And so I want to be cognizant of that as we move forward in this topic And ultimately, I want to approach this from what does Jesus think, not from the perspective of politics. There's nothing I enjoy less than talking about politics from the stage. So we're not going to get into political discussion. We're not going to talk about all the politics that are behind it. We are going to continue with our basic questions that we've handled for all of this series. And the first one is simply, what is the issue? What is the deal with abortion? What are the related facts that we need to know that are happening for some of you, you grew up, I, I, I was just a year old when Roe v. Wade was passed. It passed in 1973. I was one year old. I don't remember it. My entire life, abortion has been legal in this nation. It has been a legitimate choice that a woman could make based on her circumstances or her wishes or just preference. It's been legal for most of you your entire lives, some of you, most of your life. It's been the law of the land. It's been something we have known that is true and real. Now, the reality is, is that when we go back and look at these situations, because 
we were not around, many of us, at the time that this was passed. We don't always know all the issues. Instead, we hear talking points on CNN or Fox News, whichever is your flavor. And those talking points are always the same. There is never a true discussion from both sides of the issue. It's always, this is my issue and I'm going to push it. But that is not the way Jesus handled things. The reality is that before Roe v. Wade was passed, many women were having abortions regardless and they were doing it in back alleys and, thing, and they were doing it with people that didn't have a clue what they were doing. Not only causing the abortion, but oftentimes permanently harming or killing the mother. There were lots of issues going on at that time. In 1973, the push for equality was talked about, but it was not acted out. And so women were just now coming into the place where they even had a choice. A man could go into the bedroom with a woman get her pregnant, and walk away. And she was left to take care of all of the repercussions there. There were lots of issues that went into this decision, and there are lots of reasons that people have abortions. But that is the reality of when Roe v. Wade came into being. Now, since that time, from 1973 to the present, it's estimated that about 59 million children have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. From that point to now, 59 million pregnancies have been terminated legally through medical facilities. 59 million. Now, I want you to imagine that right now in the U.S., total population at this moment is approximately 319 million in the entire population of the U.S. right now. Right now. That means that 18% of our current population has been aborted since 1973. Think about that. 18% of our current population has been aborted since 1973. Some charts have been making the rounds of social media lately. One of the ones that has stood out has been the one that has been comparing the number of abortions to the number of soldiers killed in war since uh, 1973 and before. 59 million have been aborted. In the Civil War, there are approximately 750,000 casualties. In World War II, 418,500 casualties. Vietnam, 58,220. The War on Terror, while I'm sure this number has increased since I got these numbers, 6,656. And the American Revolution, 6,800. If we can pile those numbers together... The total number recorded of casualties of war that the U.S. has been involved with is 1.2 million people. Compared to the number of children who have been aborted, 59 million. See, the reason I give you these numbers is not to say something with the numbers. Sometimes the numbers speak for themselves. But to simply say this, the issue is far beyond what it has become in our current political context, which is... It's just about a right to choose. Sometimes we forget how massive, how massive the number of children who have lost their lives to this legislation truly is. So what does the Bible say about abortion? Wouldn't it be great if I could read you a verse, cleared it up, and that is part of the problem. The Bible really doesn't say anything about abortion specifically. And so when the Bible doesn't speak to a specific issue, we have to try to understand what is God's heart in this issue 
if he hasn't said something specifically about it. Now, as we go forward, I want you to know I really don't know how to move forward on this topic except from the perspective of grace and humility. I don't know how to move forward other than to simply come before Christ and say, what is your heart in this? To reveal that to us in the way that you have worked with your people since creation. What is your heart in this issue so that we can know how best to follow in his footsteps? While the Bible doesn't mention abortion, the Bible does speak of God's relationship to children that are still forming in their, their mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139.13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Just in the last few months, we've seen some compelling evidence that the moment of conception is far more than a biological act. If you haven't seen the report that's been surfacing, I, I don't have a video to show you, though you can find it very easily. That the moment of conception, you will see a burst of light from the new embryo. Something that was never known before, never discovered before. Scripture tells us over and over, God knits us together. He does incredible things before we are ever born into this world. And ultimately, when we look at this topic, when we look at this issue, when we look at the lives that are affected, both children and mothers, families, whole populations, our nations, and our world, we have to come to the place of valuing the things that God values. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11 says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, at the bottom, at, at, at the end of the day, bottom line, whether we're talking about abortion or same-sex attraction or we're talking about Islam or we're talking about any number of hot issues that are going, going on around us in our nation, here is the bottom line for all of them, not just the big issues, but the small ones as well, is simply this. God loved us. And he gave his son for us. We are his. We belong to him. And when we come to him in repentance, we say, God, I have sinned and I need a savior. Please forgive me and let me follow you. And in that moment, it is an incredible time when God says, yes, I will forgive you. 
My son's blood has covered everything you have ever or will ever do. And not only will I give you forgiveness, I will accept you as my child, co-heirs with Christ, to all of heaven. And what Paul is saying, and what every person who truly knows Christ knows, is that there is nothing of greater value than simply knowing Christ. If we don't do anything, if we don't say anything, if we don't leave here with anything other than this, to know Christ is the greatest opportunity that you will ever have. To know him and to follow him. To know his, how wonderful, how gracious he is, but also to understand his righteousness. To recognize that you and I are simply sinners who have no chance at all if it weren't for the love of God and his son who gave his life for us. We have no chance. So many of our arguments, what they end up doing is they end up pitting me against you, you against them, them against you. We begin to break down into arguments. We begin to fight about things and we begin to say, I know what is right and you are evil because you disagree. What we end up doing in topics like this and the reason that I want to talk about this in the church is because rather than us sitting together under the humility of knowing that we are all broken and sinful before God the Father who through grace alone gave us life, Instead, what we end up doing is we end up passing judgment on each other because we have different interpretations, because we have different opinions, because we have different convictions. And all of that, we forget that we are sinners saved by grace. Bottom line. Paul talks about what does this look like when it comes to to our relationships with other people. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, to follow Christ is to say, I am no longer the most important person in this world. I am no longer the center of this story. I'm not the one that everyone needs to agree with. I'm not the person that needs to dictate and determine what's going on in the world around me. That's not my place anymore. I simply, in humility, accept Christ and follow him. And what he has told us is, now as you go out into this world, as you go out and spend time with people, as you build relationships, as you share the gospel... Go from the place of humility saying they should be valued above me. Now, the problem with that idea, and the reason we don't talk about this and we often reject the concept is because many of us come from a place where we have felt devalued from different people. Much of the violence, the protest, much of what's going on in the world around us is about one group of people saying you will not devalue me. You will treat me equal, and sometimes you will treat me better. That is not the way of the follower of Jesus. That's what makes us different from the world. Whenever we say our kingdom is not here in this place, our kingdom is in heaven with him, we recognize that as Scott taught on politics, this is not our kingdom. This place, this presidential election, this Congress, they are not the ones who rule 
our kingdom. Jesus is. And it is not in this place. See, the truth is for many Christians, if it is legal through our court system, then it is righteous in God's eyes. Well, it's not illegal. But you know as well as I do that our courts do not look to God to ask Him, is this righteous before they pass a law? Though some do. But that is not how they're passed. Neither does God look to our court system to determine what He deems is righteous. God is the King of all things. We didn't elect Him. We didn't take a vote for Him. God is the King. So as we look at this situation, as we look at this reality, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with abortion? And it is simply this. We have to approach the topic from the perspective of humility that others are greater than we are. And much of the dialogue about abortion is to say, you are the king of your life, the center of your world, the dictator of your circumstances. That is not the way of Jesus If you think, well, that's easy for Jesus to say. He wasn't in my situation. No, but he was in the garden sweating drops of blood saying, if I can avoid giving my life on this cross of being tortured, being ridiculed, of being spit on and being murdered, then let it be. But if not, I will die for these people. He gave us the example that our lives are not our own. Our lives are not something that we can form the world around us. Instead, we fit where God wills us. We are to follow the example of Christ. When we look at Luke 4, Jesus talks. He's actually reading a prophecy about the coming Savior. And so he's reading this about himself. You've heard me say this often because I think this is one of the most unused, most important passages of Scripture that we have to talk about how do we interact with other people. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and set the liberty, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His heart are for those who are oppressed, who have no voice, who have no choice. That is where Jesus' heart was. That is who he came for. We have to follow the example of Christ. As you can tell, if you, if you can't, let me be very clear. I am firmly a believer that God would never lead us to abort a child. Never. God would never say, this is what I want for you. When we look at Scripture and we see that God is so intricately involved in the creation process, not just Adam and Eve, but ongoing, every one of us knit together in our mother's womb, God sees us. As living from that first moment. I believe that Jesus cares for the weak and the defenseless. But I will tell you, I struggle with issues of this. I struggle with aspects of this issue. The question often comes up, what about rape? What about incest? What about the life of the mother? And to be honest, I struggle with this. You know, from a a purely academic perspective, it's all wrong. But when your hearts are involved, it gets muddy, cloudy, doesn't it? It gets messy, just like our world is messy. It's hard sometimes to know 
Where do we go? What do we do? But I want you to know that no matter what the story is, we proclaim the gospel when we say, God is with me no matter what happens to me in this life. I have no desire for any woman that I know, for my wife or for my daughter or for any of your wives or your daughters to go through the horrible, terrible thing of rape or to be involved in such an unhealthy family where incest takes place. I can't imagine the situation with one of our children. The doctor came and said, if you carry this baby to term, you're, you will die. Cannot tell you that. I, I, to, to think through that conversation in my head, I can't really even follow that out. But I want you to know this, and this is why I believe so many Christians struggle in the world today. When we look at this question, there is no easy answer. There is no pat way to handle it. There is no, I will be holier than thou. There is no, this is the spiritual way so that this doesn't hurt. And this isn't painful. And this just isn't wrong that somebody goes through this. It is the reality that God did not create you to pursue a cookie cutter, picture perfect life. That is not how you were created. That is not how God works in the lives of his followers. But that's what every one of us inside really wants. That's what we want. That's why we have ideas of what our lives are going to be like. It's why we struggle whenever we're in high school to figure out what we're going to do with our life. That's why so many of you are in jobs that you wish you had chosen something else. Or you're so thankful that you had chosen a career path. We want to be able to graduate high school and get right into our career or go to college at the right college, get the right degree, and in that time have some fun and maybe meet somebody. We want to find a spouse that that spouse comes at just the right time, not too soon and not too late, but they come at just the right time and we want them to fill all our needs. We want them to be attractive and we want to feel excited around them. We want there to be passion and we want there to be deep, meaningful friendship. And so we have this idea that that's what it will be and we get in marriage and we realize, we're, wait a minute, this isn't all happening the way I thought it was, right? Some of you did and, you know, we're all happy for you. But for the rest of us, we figured out marriage took a lot more work than just getting into it, right? We have the idea that we're going to have children and our children are going to be perfect. They're not going to have birth defects. And, you know, we have movies that daydream about the ability to change the genetics of an embryo so that they won't have any problems. Or we find story after story. Parents who find out that they have a child growing that is going to have severe birth defect and they should abort. You shouldn't have to live your life caring for another person like this. So we want our children to be perfect. We want them to grow and we want them to be happy. We want them to be good at sports or good at arts or good at reading or writing we want them to have good lives and to go on and have fulfillment in life which is ultimately what we want in this cookie cutter world we all work and we come home and then have the perfect barbecue on the weekend and we do that week in and week out until we get to retirement where we have saved plenty of money and then we can travel the world and we can just enjoy the rest of our life around the age of 45 right That's your plan, right? That's my plan. I got two years. (laughs) I got to get with it. 
See, that's the way we live our lives. We want this perfect cookie-cutter, picture-perfect world. And somewhere along the way, somebody shared a gospel with us that told us, if you will follow Jesus, he will give you that. Because he loves you. Somewhere along the way, we heard somebody told us that if you will just give your heart to Jesus, he'll make sure all the pain goes away. You won't have any sorrow. If you will just follow in his path, he will always direct you. He will let you tiptoe around all the obstacles. But instead, what we find is that God often picks us up and dumps us in the middle of the wasteland of heartache. And we say, where is God? Where is he? The idea that there should be an exclusion for abortion because of rape or incest or the life of the mother mother is the idea that my life is the most valuable thing in this world. And if anything bad is going to happen, I can erase it. And yet God always says, I don't want to erase what bad thing happened to you, but I want to redeem it. Just as he redeemed us through the blood of his son. God didn't create you for this picture-perfect life. He didn't create you for you to experience wonder and joy all the time. I, I love these events like Centrifuge. And I got to tell you, I, I go, I mean, Centrifuge was a big part of my growing up. I got saved at a Centrifuge camp when I was 15 years old. And I got to share that story with some of our kids this week. I love those events. But the problem with those events are oftentimes they give us a cloudy picture or a false picture of what it means to be a Christian. They're fun. They're exciting. You all are ready to go next, next year, right? After seeing that video, we probably won't have a problem getting chaperones next year, except for my poison ivy. <laughs> but yeah, I was so thankful for the pastor and the worship leader that worked so hard not to try to push emotion on kids to make a decision because it's camp rather than make a decision because they want to know Christ. They handled it with such grace and they handled it just very honestly and openly. They really did a great job with that. One of the sermons that they preached this week was, I, I remember one of the, the, his primary points was simply this. <laughs> Life is hard. I was like, yes, preach it. Because that's what Christians are missing. We don't live lives that aren't hard. We live lives with Jesus through hard things. That's what makes us different from the world. We walk through this life with Jesus. We begin making exclusions because it's going to be a problem or I have to, I have to deal with this long term or I can't forget about the rape or the incest or I don't want to lose my wife. The reality is that God is with us through those times. And I can't imagine... What, what the situation is for those families that have to deal with these issues. I can't imagine what that is like. The pain, the heartache. But many times it's a cop-out because we refuse to let God redeem the brokenness. And instead we try to pretend the brokenness isn't there. How many of us who our children are born and we have been with them for years wouldn't lay our lives down for our children? But it's... Harder that way. See them smile, to see them run, to see them coo, to see them hug. You don't have that option when you've just found out you're pregnant and all of your dreams may crumble if you go through with this pregnancy. We don't, we don't have that option. 
I want you to know I believe that God does not want us to pursue that picture-perfect cookie-cutter life. He wants us to pursue Him. And most of these exclusions have everything to do with, but I want the life that I want. And I would simply ask you this. If you are interfering with someone else's life that they want, should you be killed? I know that seems crass and uncaring and ungraceful. But that really is the bottom line. God created you to know him and to follow him. Created you to know him and to follow him. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. This is a passage talking about slavery. And many people say, well, the Bible doesn't ever talk about slavery. So, you know, God doesn't care. He's not a just God. This is how he addresses slavery. See if you can pick out what he's talking about. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, he's not saying it's okay if you get beaten. He's saying if you are being beaten and you shouldn't be, God is seeing that and it is a gracious thing. It is a good thing to endure when others harm you in the eyes of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, to God. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree with that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his Wounds, you have been healed. What he's saying is there's something that transcends the pain of this world. There's something that's greater than the injustice in this world. And if you have to endure injustice, then God sees that. And he says, I am with you in that. And that is a testament that we get the grace we have received through Jesus Christ who died for us. James, that we read often, talks about trials like this. And while you may be thinking trials are different, this is not a trial if my baby girl has been raped. That's not a trial. Trials are because I I have to wait in line at Starbucks. This is not a trial. This is so much more than that. I get that. I get that. But James says, let's just assume now he's talking about more than the line at Starbucks, but he is talking about true, terrible injustices in this world. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because God likes us to hurt? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God is saying, Don't avoid the obstacles. Let me redeem you through them and watch your faith grow. Here's what happens when you go through an obstacle with Christ. You recognize you're not walking through this alone. 
literally. Now, I'm not talking about us when we come to church and we feel God's presence in a song. I mean, there is something tangible and powerful about the presence of the Holy Spirit when you are hurting. And when we do everything we can in this life to avoid pain, we miss those moments that are most precious and closest to our Savior. Because they're in those moments that he is with us. Now, this has to, whether this is abortion or whether this is porn in your life or whether this is anger that you haven't dealt with or whether this is hurt that you have in a relationship, whether this is any other sin that you have in your life that you're dealing with, it doesn't matter. He will be there with you and he can redeem that because he loves us. One of our major questions we've been addressing in this time has been, what if you, if this is your issue? What if this is your issue? And I, I want to take just a couple of minutes to talk to you if you have had an abortion. Maybe no one in the room has. Well, probably somebody has. And right now you may be feeling that we are just pouring guilt and terror on you. I want you to know that that is what sin does. When we forsake the way of Jesus, it pours shame and guilt on us, which is what Jesus died to remove from us. No desire to pour shame and guilt on you because I have no desire to pour shame and guilt on myself. We have a tendency to do that already. If you've had an abortion, let me just say this to you. If you are in that group that I mentioned earlier that you've had an abortion and you regret it, you're struggling. You have struggled. And right now, it is a struggle to listen to this sermon. I want you to know, Scripture tells us something very wonderful. And that is that God preserves the simple. God preserves the simple. What does that mean, right? Psalm 116 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. I believe this 100% means that every child, every one of those 59 million children that have been aborted are with God in heaven right now. Every single one of them. God sees and in his tears, he accepts them into his kingdom way too soon. God preserves the simple. If you've been at a time, whether it was horrific, maybe one of these terrible instances that I've mentioned, or maybe it was just it wasn't the right time for you or whatever the choice, but you went through it, I want you to know, no matter what your choice, God is merciful. And on the moment of that abortion, your child was welcomed with him to heaven. I believe God also does the same if you have a child with a severe birth defect. And they do not have the cognitive ability to understand or to comprehend the gospel whatsoever. God preserves the simple. It's the same reason that many faiths believe, or many, not faiths, but many uh, different uh, denominations, I guess is a a word we can use. I don't know if it's the right one. But many different denominations will say that, that God will preserve those below a certain age. They can't possibly comprehend the gospel. God preserves those who truly are defenseless and 
have no way of possibly responding to the gospel. Now, I'm not, this is different than a little tribe out there in Africa that it hasn't heard yet. I, I believe God works in a whole different ways in those groups. But in this situation, I want you to know that every one of these 59 million and, and that number is growing daily, God preserves them. Listen to this. These are the words of David after he lost his son, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed so he could marry her. And the punishment was his son was taken away from him. I want you to listen to the words of a very sad, remorse-filled father. This is what he said about that situation. Second Samuel 12, 21 says, Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, listen to this, he said, While the children were still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. David's saying, literally, I will see my child again in heaven. But I will not see him in this earth. I believe that God preserves every one of these children. I also, if you are in this group and you are struggling and you are hurting, I want you to know that God can restore your brokenness. God can restore your brokenness. He does not intend for you to live your life full of regret and guilt and shame for the rest of your life. Jesus bore that for you. God can restore your brokenness. Psalm 147.3, he heals a brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I want you to know if this is you, this is what God is offering you. Not judgment, not condemnation. He, has, he is caring for your child. He is offering hope and restoration. The last question we want to address with each of these, and I'm going to move through these kind of quick, Brian. <laughs> How should the church respond I've got a video and a picture coming up. Just show the picture, but we're not going to do the video, Brian. You remember back in 1987, baby Jessica? Does anybody remember baby Jessica from 1987? Remember the story? It's a pretty amazing story. I was 15 years old when this happened. I remember watching it on CNN, the only 24-hour news channel at the time. Many experts and analysts say that This story, the story of baby Jessica, is what changed the way we watch news forever. Because it is the first big story that people watched around the clock to see what was happening. For those of you who don't know the story of baby Jessica, baby Jessica was a toddler. She wandered into the backyard of her grandparents' house. It was her grandparents' or aunt. I I can't remember. I think it was grandparents, though. She wandered into the back where there was a pipe that went down into a well, and they had put a rock over that hole so that no children would fall into it. Somehow, she got into it, and she fell down into this hole. For the next 58 and a half hours, rescuers talked to her, got her to talk to them, to sing songs, and to do all these incredible things. The crowd that formed around the well was huge. I mean, there were just masses of people there the whole time to watch. Fifty-eight and a half hours this went on. It was the number one news story. It was on CNN around the clock. 
You went to bed watching it, you got up watching it. I mean, it was a huge, huge story. This 8-inch diameter pipe had her situated in such a way that she had one leg down, pointing down, one leg up where her foot was by her head. And there was no way to get her out. They feared, of course, that she would fall even deeper in there, and if that didn't happen, then she would at least succumb to not having any water, not any food, or the pressure that her body was feeling being in that position for that long. Rescuers came up with a, an idea on how to rescue baby Jessica, and what they ended up doing was digging a tunnel parallel to the well pipe that she had fallen down into, and then they burrowed across to just below where she was. There was a paramedic. A, he was an EMT with the fire department. His name was Robert O'Donnell. He was the one that was in there, and he was talking to her. He grabbed her leg, and he began to pull her down to get her into this adjoining tube so they could rescue her. And he said he could remember her saying, no, no, no. You know, she didn't like it. It's uncomfortable. He, they had used Vaseline to just wipe all around her the best they could so she would slide, but still she wouldn't come. He kept calling up and saying, what should I do? Should I? I fear that if I pull her leg, I'm going to break her leg or I'm going to pull it out of socket. I, I fear that I'm going to really hurt this child. She's stuck. They came back to her and said, if you don't do this, she will die. And so he pulled and got her out. Many of you remember the story. You saw the video when, when Robert got to the surface and he was holding baby Jessica. The, the cheers around the nation were heard. It was an amazing story, really. People had come together, this poor little defenseless child who had fallen into this place, and he brought her out. If you haven't figured it out, there's a great hypocrisy in our world today. Hypocrisy that says we need to protect our children from all these things that we will celebrate greatly that this one child who had fallen has been rescued. And then say that we need to just let an infant die because it doesn't fit in our plan. Interestingly enough, eight years later, that firefighter that went down in that tube that got baby Jessica, pulled her out, went into his, on his parents' farm, took a shotgun and killed himself. He had so much attention after that event that when the attention went away, he never felt how wonderful it was to save that child. Instead, he felt the fame. And when he lost it, he could not live any longer and he took his life. Tragic story at the end of this. I'll tell you this story because it's important for us to understand that God knows a child from the moment they are conceived. And yet we will celebrate the rescue of a toddler and not be concerned about the death of an infant. That is how our world works. The number of women who have gone because it was legal, because we felt our choice meant that it was okay, went in a mother and came out brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. Question. Why do we create such a fuss over a child that might die, but not over a baby that is yet to be born? 
Why do we do that? At the end of all of this, what is our role with church? What is our role in this? And let me just, let me give you these and then I'm going to end for today. I believe, number one, wholeheartedly in all these issues, the church should be agents of healing, not judgment. Should be agents of healing, not judgment. What does that look like? It means we have to recognize the pain that many mothers go through rather than judging them for going through it. If you believe that the sin of abortion is greater than the sin of any other thing in your own life, then you misunderstand what sin does to a person. They are all the same. They're all the same. Consequences are different. Sins are the same. Before God, we are all equal. We've got to recognize that pain. The church has to be a safe place for those that want help, for those who need to talk, for those that need to be cared for and loved. It needs to be a safe place where they can come because oftentimes what happens whenever you decide, I wish I hadn't done it, if you deal with regret, you don't have anywhere to go because you just don't want people to know. Most people don't know when someone's been through an abortion. Church has to be a safe place. For those that are thinking of having an abortion. For anybody that has already followed through. But I also believe the church should stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And this encompasses way more than unborn children. We have to speak up. That's our role. Those are the oppressed. Those are the captive. Those are the blind that Jesus says, I have come for. I have come to set them free. As his followers, we have to stand up for them. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. This is one of those issues that it's talking about. When we opt for an abortion, we truly damage our souls. We damage them. They can be restored, but if we are thinking about it as a viable option that we're dealing with right now, understand it will do damage to your soul. God can rescue you and heal that brokenness. God can also redeem that child that you're not sure you want to follow through with. We announce that our comfort is more important than a defenseless child. And folks, we do this, all of us, in different ways, even outside of abortion. We announce that we are the most important. We have to ignore the teachings of Jesus because Jesus says care for them, be with them, love them. The last thing I want to leave with you is Again, I, I know no other way to talk about this than through the brokenness of sin and the thankfulness that God has given us the grace of a Savior who gave his life for us. I'm thankful for the words that Jesus said in Matthew 11, and this is what I'm going to leave you with. I want you to know that whether your issue is abortion or your issue is something else, these words are the same for us all. Come to me. All who, are late, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I am thankful that God still promises us, that Jesus is still offering us, Rest for our souls. As we close out this morning and we do our last song, I, uh, 
I just want to encourage you that if you're a person in here, maybe you've not even heard a word I've said. <laughs> your mind is so focused on something else right now. It's so you're you've got you're hurting. You've got other things going on. And if that's the case, I I just want you to know his invitation is for you as well. If you're here in this place and you are struggling with shame and guilt, it is such a terrible, terrible thing. God never wanted you to experience that. And I want you to know Jesus can give you rest for your souls. When we draw close to Christ, when we draw near to him, he welcomes us and he brings healing to us. And when the circumstances that we find ourselves are a nightmare, he says, I can redeem this. I can redeem this. Let me work. Trust me in this. I'm thankful for a God that will preserve the simple. I'm thankful for God that will preserve the complex, like me. (laughs) I'm pretty complex. I'm thankful that God saw us as valuable and worthy to be saved, even when we never could have done it ourselves. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your grace and the love that you've shown us in so many incredible ways. I thank you that no matter what our sin is, no matter what our heartache or no matter what our brokenness is, God, I am just so thankful that you have given us a spirit where we can be redeemed. I thank you for your love through Jesus Christ because apart from him, we we have nothing, we are nothing, we can never be anything. But because of Christ, we are your children. Father, I pray this morning for those who have been touched by this by abortion, by the choice to have one or someone that they know that they care about has. I pray that you will help them to see your grace and your love. To know that that child is with you in heaven. And to know that you do not condemn and that you do not judge. Not only have you rescued that child, you will rescue that mother. Father, I pray for those in this room who are struggling because... They're just, life is not working out the way they thought it would. I pray that they would be able in humility to come before you, to see your hand and to feel your presence. To know that no matter what's going on in this current circumstance, what's going on right now in this moment in life, it is something they will not have to deal with on their own. You will be there with them. Help us to follow you. Help us to know you. Help us to experience your grace. Father, I pray that you would heal our brokenness so that we would not, in this place, walk out of here believing that we are judged or that this guilt is founded. But instead, we are set free because of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your love. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.